I'm Oli from Israel. This is the Dr. Who podcast and you are most welcome. It's another episode of the Dr. Who podcast. Join Tom and me as we discuss potato-headed clones, snogging and human rats. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 107 of the Doctor Who podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. And once again, there appear to be more of you than we had previously thought. Um, we're without Trevor this week, who, after last week's marathon editing session, requires a bit of a lie down. I don't blame him either. So thank you very much for that, Trev. Enjoy your week off. In fact, your couple of weeks off. Um, but that said, here in the camper van, I'm joined by the quite redoubtable James. Hello. Hello, redoubtable. That's interesting. Do you know, all the three of us were described by a listener earlier on this week in a piece of feedback as something quite different. I'll tell, you the, <laughs> I'll tell you the names that we had, and I'll let you try and decide who's who. We had Mr. Loquacious, Mr. Aloysius, and Mr. Cyberman. <laughs> um, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that you would be Aloysius. Mm. And Trev would be Cyberman, mm. um, leaving me with Loquacious, which is good, is I suppose. Well, wow. I know what Loquacious means. I still haven't looked up Aloysius. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right. I'm thinking. <laughs> it's a, that, that sounds, I'm sure Aloysius is just a proper name, but uh, that's all good. I got an email the other day from someone who said he thought I was in my 40s with a beard and glasses. <laughs> um, and then he, he said to me, this isn't true. Well, no. Well, absolutely, of course, we, we've only met the once. No, that was actually me. Um <sighs> But then he looked on he looked on the forum host pages and was surprised to see that what I actually look like. So um, I, I, I hadn't thought of that actually, but I, I never thought that I looked like a sort of professor of something. But that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> professor Loquacious, yeah. I think. Professor Sounds Loquacious, very good indeed. But yeah, that's the absolute gift of audio podcasting is that people start building up uh, an image of the individuals whose voices they hear every week. And mm. I'm not quite sure whether or not it's scary or whether it's interesting. Is that people begin to feel that they know us so when when i've arrived at conventions and people come up and shake my hand and which is all very wonderful almost invariably the first thing people say is ah you don't look a thing like i thought you were going to but yes listeners if you do want to add some images at your own risk so this is a very very heavily qualified piece of advice here there are pictures of tom trevor and me on the doctor who podcast.com and you can do some digging if you're really that inclined to do so. No, but do you know what? I I listen to a show called The Today Programme on Radio for most mornings on my way to work, and I just do not want to know what some of uh, what some of them look like because otherwise it's going to destroy <laughs> my image of what goes on in Broadcasting House every day. But anyway, enough of that. We've got some stuff to work through today, haven't we? We have indeed. Yes. Uh, the first of which we have a lovely piece of feedback from someone called Spring about fixed points in time and you know tom she's based in utah so she should know hi there this is spring in utah 
No, I am nowhere near the lake in the story. You know, there is no actual Lake Silencio. It's another lake entirely. About fooling time in the wedding of River Song, I don't believe time was fooled. I believe time was in on it. Dorian gave us the clue when he said, makes it easier to create a fixed point. The fixed point was created, although the doctor is an unwilling participant in its creation. The definition of a fixed point is that what happened must always be what happens. The only people who actually know what happens are the participants. The spectators report whatever it is they know, and that shapes who the participants are and what they're doing. That's the history part. But the fixed point is being created, and the participants created an event where River shoots the Tesselecta in the shape of the doctor. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the great podcast. Have a great day. Right. Okay. Thank you for that, Spring. Can I say, this is exactly what I was saying all along. This is the thing. Prophets are never understood in their own time. Number one, thank you for that. What a lovely voice you have. What a, what a consistent line of clear reasoning you have. But that's exactly what I was saying. I, don't, I can't really go back three weeks, because I can't time travel, um, to, to where the disagreement was. But it seemed to be that time had somehow been cheated. And as Spring is saying, no, it really hadn't. Um, it was what we, what we were getting was the narrative view, the historical view, the uh, historiographical view, uh, as opposed to um, the view which is untempered by un untempered by perspective. So, yep, fine. I, I, I totally agree. Well put. Nice one. Thank you. Yes. And I, I have to say, I'm not sure whether or not it was exactly the same as what you were saying or not, Tom. But <laughs> the difference being was that this particular piece of feedback was less than two minutes long. I understood it. <laughs> I think I agreed with it. Perfect. So <laughs> I, I enjoyed listening to that. And I think certainly it's, it, it's almost a very useful piece of audio to listen to before you go into watching season six again. So thank you for being an aid memoir spring. Um, our second piece of feedback is from Richard Wiggins. Now, Richard hasn't sent any audio feedback into us before either, and he talks about classic series, Tom. Hello, I'm Richard Wiggins, and this is my first contribution to the Doc 2 podcast. I was born in 1992, so I missed out on the whole of the classic series. But after hearing some feedback from some other younger uh, fans of Doc 2, I thought... I'd give my take on the classic series. I went back to the classic series after enjoying um, series two and three so much that I really wanted to find out a bit more about Doctor Who and where it had come from. So I started with episodes like Genesis of the Daleks and Caves of Androzani. I think these episodes still hold up well today because the actual concept of Doctor Who is watertight. And what you've been discussing over the last few episodes is interesting because part of what I like about Doctor Who is he has always been the same man and will always be the same man. And that you're following one linear storyline that has been going on for almost 50 years. And that I find fantastic. It has to be said though, when I first sat down to watch a lot of these episodes, it, it did take a while for me to kind of get used to watching an old-fashioned sort of Doctor Who. Um, and it, it did feel strange and a bit alien to start with. But now I can imagine being a Doctor Who fan who never watched anything pre-2005. And some of my favourite episodes are from the classic series, and I hold them in as high regard as any new series episodes. Myself and my little brother have been sitting in front of the television catching up on the old series and buying the Doctor Who back catalogue of DVDs. And it has become part of our weekly routine to try and watch one or two episodes a week. On one hand, it's harder to get into old Doctor Who, but... On the other hand, once you're in there, you're pretty much trapped. Although it's bad that Doctor Who wasn't around when I was a child, it does mean that now I've got 
hundreds and hundreds of episodes to catch up on that I've never seen before and that I of course will be around to see the series well into my old age. Thank you very much for that. It's lovely to hear uh, people who are under the age of 30 appreciating doc uh, classic Doctor Who. And I see what you're saying. It's a different pace. It's a different world. It's a different... I was going to say it's a different way of telling the same story. Um, mm. But once you're into that mindset, once you have slowed down, uh, and once you, once you engage with it on its own terms rather than trying to uh, expect it to be something from this century, it's really quite amazing. It's all-encompassing. It's all and hopefully uh, you begin to see why the story was brought back by people who loved it so much as children. Yeah, I think it's interesting hearing how someone has had a little bit of difficulty getting into the classic series after really enjoying and finding Doctor Who through the new series. Mm. And I think what Richard says is absolutely correct. I think it probably would take some getting into now because it's not just the case of accessing an earlier point in the Doctor Who that you know and love, it is almost like watching a completely different show. I mean, yes, you've got the Doctor and you've got the same stories and so on, but the way it's told is so very different. I really liked and I smiled at the comment Richard made about being trapped inside of old classic Who once you've got inside it. Because <laughs> for me, that's pretty much it. And I'll tell you, if you've got trapped after watching Genesis of the Daleks and Caves of Androzani, then there's absolutely no hope for you, Richard. Your rest of your life is going to be just a complete exploration of, of classic coup because you're quite right you really can't get out of it Coming up later in the podcast we've got the discussion about some new releases from Big Finish which as James alluded to in the introduction feature our favourite potato heads but before we get there we've got a competition to talk about haven't we? We have indeed and this is one that the three of us completely forgot about on the last <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, now, you may remember that we talked about Day of the Daleks and Paradise Towers about seven days or so ago. And about a week or so before that, you had Trev and Tom talking about two classic episodes in the Geek Out. And that was Inferno and Genesis of the Daleks. And that, that, that conversation stimulated some lively debate on the forums and also we've had some interesting pieces of feedback that we'll go through on a later podcast uh, about the merits of each of those stories. Now, first of all, um, I, I want to just chime in here and say it's not as if one of you was saying one of them was bad and the other one was saying, well, actually, no, it's good. I mean, you clearly both liked both Genesis and Inferno. Oh, yeah. What I thought was good was that you were able to point to specific things in those stories that made you think, actually, I enjoy this one slightly more than the other. Mm. And listeners, that's what we want you to do this time with Paradise Towers and Day of the Daleks. And the prize being a DVD of both stories. Now, so we don't want you, and I want to really stress this clearly, we don't want you to point out all of the bad points to one of those two stories. <laughs> we just want you to point out the good points to one of those two stories. Feel free to come down on whichever side you like, but please stop short of of, of pointing to some glaring shortcomings and just focus on the positive elements of these stories. We're going to restrict this competition purely to audio and we're going to dedicate an episode of the Doctor Who podcast to the feedback that we receive later on in the year. But we're going to take the normal two-minute restriction off. You can go up to... Are you ready for this, Tom? Up to it. three minutes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> for you oh to my state goodness. your case. I know, three minutes. What are we thinking? We're just getting crazy here this week. <laughs> but you can have three minutes of audio feedback to state whether you like Paradise Towers more than Day of the Daleks. And send those entries to feedback 
at the Doctor Who Podcast.com. Listeners, thank you so much for sending in your introductions to the podcast, i.e. This is John from Melbourne. This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. We're just, we've got quite a few uh, banked already, but it would be lovely to have even more um, from the wildest places that people listen to the podcast. I don't mean in the bath, under the stairs, or in a forest, but just from all around the planet. So if you've been thinking you might like to join in with the podcast, now is your opportunity. Please just record a, a short piece with your name, your location, telling people that they're listening to the Doctor Who podcast and saying the immortal line, you are most welcome. Um, look forward to receiving more of those. So thank you. Just a quick note there. Don't listen to the Doctor Who podcast whilst you're in the bath. Water and electrical equipment don't mix. Before we get into reviewing Big Finish for this week, I'd just like to say a huge thanks to Ian and Michelle for their sterling work around Find and Replace in last week's DWP. I really enjoyed listening to your opinions. It's great to hear other perspectives, and I agree with almost everything that you had to say about Katie Manning and her ability to switch between three leading characters in the space of a couple of seconds in some cases. So thank you very much, and I look forward to hearing more and more and more reviews from Ian and Michelle. Right. Right then, James, we have some work to do. Oh, we, we've really got to step up to the plate now, I think, or else we'll have Ian and Michelle taking over our roles reviewing Big Finish here. Well, but yes, yeah. they, they have, I think, spent an awful lot of time providing a very in-depth, deep analysis of that particular play. We're going to try and do the same with the latest Fifth Doctor, Nyssa, Turlo and Tegan trilogy. Those three plays being called The Heroes of Sontar, The Kiss of Death and Rat Trap. <laughs> Instruct Pilot Beck to strike back without mercy. Strange. The door to the flight deck is not functional. Pilot Beck, activate the flight deck door at once. Why can he not hear me? That will be because he's dead, most likely. Silence, Trooper Jaw. Pilot, Pilot, open this door. The doors are dead. The alarms are dead. Face it. The whole ship is dead! I said silence! If the ship was dead, it would be plummeting helplessly through the atmosphere of Samoa. Permission to speak, Sir Major. Permission granted, Corporal. Trooper Null says plummeting helplessly through the atmosphere of Samoa is what we are doing, sir. I regret to inform you, Trooper Null is correct. We are Sontaran soldiers, Sergeant. We do not plummet helplessly. Then I recommend the use of gravity spheres. Gravity spheres, good. Abandon ship! I order you all to abandon ship! Okay, Heroes of Sontar. Written by Alan Barnes, released in April this year. And this was a, a much heralded release, really, if, if that's the right way of putting it, because Big Finish have never been able to use the Sontarans before. So it was quite anticipated. Um, I think it was announced well over a year or so ago that Alan Barnes was going to be 
writing the first story to see their introduction into the Big Finish canon. And I was quite looking forward to it. I have to admit, the negotiations to use the Sontarans were taking place at the same time the negotiations with Tom Baker were taking place. So I kind of wondered whether or not we were going to see a Tom Baker play featuring Sontarans. But uh, but no, we've gone for a Fifth Doctor story here, which is interesting, of course, because the Fifth Doctor didn't meet them on screen at all during the televised era. But Tom, let me start off. What, what did you think of, of Heroes of Sontar? I enjoyed it because there was a certain amount of well, there's not a certain amount, there's a huge amount of comedy going on in the story. Um, although the comedy gives way to a huge amount of pathos towards the end, which I and that's and that's what I like. I like my stories told that way. I like to be laughing, and then I like to be made to reflect. Um, there's a, a very a very great film or a film I enjoy very much uh, that was released recently called Four Lions, which does exactly the same trick. It makes you laugh, and then you suddenly see the underlying tragedy of the situation. So with the Sontarans, as has been taking place in the TV show, certainly uh, towards the end of uh, last season, uh, you've got what appears to be, also in the middle of last season, you've got what appears to be a very militaristic race who are totally, uh, totally emotionless. But at the same time, actually, if you take a step back, there's an awful lot of emotion. And, and, and in the words of the famous film, everyone has their reasons for doing the things that not everybody understands. So I, do you know what? I quite enjoyed it. I, I, I really I, I like the interaction between the Doctor and the three and the three companions. Um, I'm beginning to find Tegan as a character a little bit irritating now. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm with got, you completely there. Um, you know, J- Janet Fielding's a great actress, and I think it, it's no small skill to be able to recreate a role that you were playing 20, 30 years ago. I mean, I can't. You know, we can't take away from that. But at the same time. It it just it did seem seem to me very much that she was just there to contradict the doctor and make things slow down a bit. Although she does have some very heroic moments in this. Um, cutting to the chase, I liked it. Um, but James, would you like to explain why I might think that you would you would have enjoyed it more? Well, it was because I look incredibly similar to a Sontaran. That's obviously why <laughs> I think you thought of me to start with. Now, listeners, as you may or may not know, uh, I have a great affection for the UK comedy Dad's Army. And uh, I, a quick plug, I, I do a Dad's Army podcast as well. And it's quite clear that Alan Barnes seems to share my passion to a degree at least because these Sontarans are comedy Sontarans and they are based on Dad's Army. There's an ensemble cast, there's seven characters and each of the characters within Dad's Army are very, very easy to identify in this particular play. Now, I I couldn't make up my mind whether I really like this play because of that reason, or whether I thought it was sacrilege. <laughs> I ended up landing, I think, somewhere between those two opinions. I I understand what you're saying, Tom, in terms of trying to introduce a degree of pathos towards the end of this story, but for me it didn't work. I, I wasn't heavily invested in the story or the characters, and I think the reason for that is because I kept on hearing Dad's Army. I heard Jones, I heard Fraser, and when at the very end you've got these characters or the Sontarans talking through the Dad's Army character voices Mm. it just didn't really generate the amount of empathy with the characters I think it may have done had I not known about Dad's Army at all and therefore not picked up on it I, I don't know whether or not it's a story that you can appreciate if you don't know what it's based on um it it's it stops short of becoming a parody and I, and I don't think it is a parody of dad's army it it is almost a homage and i think the characters are generally treated with respect 
in the light of looking at how Dad's army is treated in this play. However, I just think to someone who's listening to this as a Fifth Doctor and a Sontaran story, they're going to be confused. Where do these Sontarans come from? And yes, the answer is provided at the end. There is a reason as to why they're particularly thick Sontarans. Um, <laughs> and, and that does work in story terms. But I think if you don't appreciate this humour on a deeper level, I honestly don't know whether or not it's a good story or not. And that's a really weird review. I don't think I've ever been able to say I don't know whether or not this is a good story or not. The only thing that I found um, a little difficult was the amount of time that had to be invested in such a large group of goodies, if you like, with the, com- uh, with the three companions of the Doctor. But that was yes. something that was a problem back in the 80s. You know, there's so many characters, you've got to give them all something to do. Um, for, what's the first thing to do? Split them up. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it's interesting, at least this time around, Nissa didn't wind up being a surrogate Doctor. If anything, um, Tegan got some character development. So without being able to reference directly the Dad's army links in, in the story, I actually could, I've got to be honest i actually quite enjoyed it and yeah well I'll, I'll reserve judgment for the whole trilogy until the very end but no this this is a good one if, if you're not sure um or oh, well i enjoy it because it's got all these uh, references to old bbc tv doesn't make much of a difference as long as you're interested in good storytelling good performances and uh monsters with a good amount of pathos this is a good script and i'm, I'm sure i'm sure you'll actually get some value out of it i i think i enjoyed it the best of the three i remember thinking that at the time and as i said it's been a little while since i've listened to it now and i certainly agree with what you're saying about uh, uh tegan I, I i think she was a far stronger and more true to the character we saw on television in the previous trilogy, which was the Cobwebs, Whispering Forest and Cradle of the Snake, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find her irritating at all. In fact, I was really, really pleased she was back in Big Finish. Mm. Now, even in the opening episode of Heroes of Sontar, you begin to stop hearing Tegan and start listening to Janet Fielding. Yeah. And I think that that's happened in the past... Um, with a couple of other companions. The one most notable for me is I'm not entirely certain where Joe Grant stops and Katie Manning begins. And <laughs> if you want to talk about that in the context of last week's podcast, I certainly don't know where Iris Wildtime begins. I think she really is much more closer to Katie Manning uh, than perhaps Joe Grant is. But certainly for me, Tegan is becoming confused with Janet Fielding and it sounds like an angry lady there. And yeah. He yeah. doesn't particularly want to be there. And, you know, she's finding reason to articulate very, very loquaciously um, some dissatisfaction with her circumstances. And I, I, I don't think it actually developed the character or the person in the way that her argumentative tone did in particularly The Whispering Forest, where I think the character showed that she did actually care about what was going on. Mm. This time around, I think she's just just a mouth on legs to coin a phrase i think one last question i'd like to ask before we do move on to kiss of teth mm. would you have liked to have seen the sontarans played straight on their first return to big finish um well the sontarans are one of the big three aren't they there's the daleks the cybermen and then close behind come the sontarans and um no i'm, I'm okay with them the way that they are i mean they they, they seem they always seem comedy to me anyway if I'm totally honest. So the way that they're portrayed here isn't too far away from the way they've, they've always been. That, that, that's a huge statement. I've just watched the first part of the Sontaran experiment again, mm, and yeah. there's not anything in common between that particular Sontaran, or indeed the one uh, in, in The Time Warrior with John Pertwee. 
to 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 the Sontarans as they're portrayed in Heroes of Sontar, and moreover, I don't actually think they're supposed to be much in common. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, th- think about the first appearance um, in in the Time Warrior. Out comes this little Sontaran, sticks a little flag in the ground, and says, "I claim this planet in the name of the Sontaran Empire." And it's like that's funny. It is funny, but it's not supposed to be. And you're looking at it through 21st century viewers' eyes uh, as as opposed to, what was that, 1973 or 4, something Mm. like that. And uh, it is funny, and you're absolutely not wrong, and it always brings a smile to my face too. But, (laughs) you know, I think if you look at the way they were portrayed in The Two Doctors, the writers, Bob Holmes at the time, already knew that they were quite funny characters Mm. and wrote their dialogue to reflect that. And, you know, I know he wrote The Time Warrior as well, but I think all he did was just show an appreciation uh, of the two eras that he was writing the same characters in. And perhaps that's what Alan Barnes is doing now as well. He's perhaps at the same view that they are silly characters and that they shouldn't really have a serious story. I, I would disagree with that. And I would love to see the Sontarans back in Big Finish played as we knew them in the early days of the Sontarans on telly. So, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see what they do. I'm sure they'll use them again. Well, that's the thing, though. We think, think back to the nurse in Demon's Run, though. Now, there is a character that's funny, but a good amount of pathos in there, too. True, true. No, absolutely. And I think that was an example of where it was done extremely well. Mm. And I, I like that. The, the big finish play that I have seen that comes across as funny for the majority of it and then makes that sudden left turn and becomes sad, has a degree of pathos to it, and becomes very emotional, is undoubtedly Perry and the Piscon Paradox, written by Nev Fountain. And I've not heard a play written by Big Finish that does that better. And that's why I think, perhaps, because I listened to that play very closely to to Heroes of Sontar, I did notice that they were trying to do more or less the same thing, and one works significantly better than the other. Were you expecting someone else? Well, close the door. We were expecting lunch. What do you want? I missed you too, Tegan. You've got a face like a wet weekend, which doesn't go with my hot, dry holiday. Look at you, you've not even taken your tie off. Where have you been, Turlo? Keeping myself usefully employed. Helping the doctor fix the TARDIS and get us out of this hole. What do you mean, hole? It's not time to leave already, is it? Sadly not. Good. Because I'm not cooked yet. Back to the balcony. Ah, that'll be him. That'll be who? The pizza delivery boy. There'll be plenty to share, Turlo. Ah. Well, I suppose I am rather... This? Dealer? I've been knocking on so many doors. Hoping I... Hoping I wouldn't find you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dealer? Dealer! Don't go! Turlo? Are you all right? Okay, Kiss of Death, written by Stephen Cole, is the next play in this trilogy. Uh, Stephen Cole he used to be very, very key at, I think it was BBC Books, and he commissioned, and he was the commissioning editor, I think, of the Eighth Doctor run. And he wrote a big finish very soon after they started. He wrote Land of the Dead, which was only the fourth release. Uh, and that featured a Fifth Doctor in Nyssa as well. But this time, he's clearly been given a brief to give Vislord Turlo a backstory in the form 
of a love interest. Well, do you know, character development stories are always kind of welcome in Big Finish because it's nice then to go back to the old stories and be able to think, oh, well, maybe this is what's going on in that particular character's head at the time. Um, and I've got to say, the opening scenes are very atmospheric. The, uh, the environment of a busy uh, holiday planet is well told and the relationship between the TARDIS crew, particularly Tegan and Turlo, is really well, is really well written and really well drawn. I, I actually agree with you. I think the opening to this play is, the strongest part of it and I, I loved the the visuals can you have mm. visuals in an audio I suppose you have to really um, but I love the visuals that were created through describing the way the spaceport was I like the way that Turlo was kidnapped uh, I just thought it was really good and also what I really enjoyed was the development between the Nyssa and Tegan relationship yeah and uh, bearing in mind this is a much older Nyssa or so we're supposed to believe um, <laughs> because she's uh, she's returned to the, the, the TARDIS crew after she's left it in Terminus but I yeah I did like it I, I did feel the the cliqueiness introduced between Nyssa and Tegan was a little bit overdone because it actually excluded Turlo now Tegan didn't do anything as Machiavellian as that on the on the telly. She she didn't like Turlo. She had a problem with him. She'd just tell him. She wouldn't kind of go off into a room and gossip about him behind his back, which is precisely what she did in, in the opening episode. But for me, as soon as the Doctor, Nyssa and Tegan follow Turlo's kidnappers, that's where it all goes downhill for me. Um, there are a big shades of the rebel flesh here. There's lots of doppelgangers used in a very very protracted way i think the villains were very cardboard not particularly memorable and the resolution for me you know was labored and the reason why i said snogging at the beginning of this podcast is because there's a lot of squelching in it and i i want to tell big finish i've said this before i know kissing doesn't work on audio particularly long protracted love scenes and the Kiss of Death is a very apt title, I think, for this particular play because there's lots of kissing and ugh, it just feels quite deathly. You really don't like any kind of emotion, Doctor Who, do you? I do. That's the thing you see. I, I like it done really well. Okay. Um, Where's it done really well? Within Big Finish. Or just in Doctor Who? Well, okay, well, because my mind's focused on Big Finish, I'll, I'll point towards the Cyberman miniseries where it's done brilliantly it's so so well thought about considered and there isn't that much kissing in it either <laughs> whereas within actual doctor who and i think that's probably perhaps a little bit more challenging for me i cried at doomsday mm. uh, and i thought the the scene on the, the beach bad wolf bay the first mm. one this is in doomsday was perfect and it just worked it worked as doctor who and it worked as a new telling of doctor who when we revisited that to years later where Russell T Davis on his own admission in in his writing book said I just didn't know what to write I think it's abundantly clear it's a ham-fisted way of ending Journey's End and uh, I didn't appreciate that emotion that's a long answer Tom sorry but uh, you know generally I, I honestly don't mind it I don't want it to sound like I don't like emotion within Doctor Who I do but it's got to be done in a particular way that I think is done well and for me Turlow is part of my formative years I kind of grew up with that companion mm -hmm. to hear him snogging away with some you know previously unmentioned love interest <laughs> for me it just doesn't work you know I, I, I'd i like to have seen development um, in terms of why he left Tryon 
you know not have that emotional element in it i think it may have worked better and i don't think stephen cole was particularly gifted at writing those kind of scenes either without dragging it out too far okay i didn't mind it i'm not sure i'd recommend it as a first story to get into for big finish number one because it's the second part of a trilogy um and but number two because you really need to have a sense of who these characters are i mean if you if you if you don't know anything about doctor who i'm not sure you're going to be able to get um the amount of enjoyment that it's possible to get from this story out of it um mm. but yeah i mean the world that was created the um the monsters are original i'll give them that they are original you're right about the um the, a slight reference sideways glance at the gangers but I, they, they can't have been known about at the time of writing oh no um, no i think it was just an unhappy coincidence there yeah. certainly yeah. yeah 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 but i i, I think what, what what can we say atmospheric when it was hot i felt hot when it was cold i felt cold and it was an interesting addition to uh the story of the character of turlo which is as much as we can say without giving away the plot I think on to the third play in this trilogy Rat Trap sounds like someone's in trouble we should go and help Turlo look at this a dead rat in an old abandoned tunnel who'd have thought it it's much larger than a normal Terran rat there's something strange here we're trapped down here. There's always a way out, Kevin. We just have to find it. Forgive me, Doctor, but you seem to be enjoying this. It does that. Did you hear that? Hear what? That voice. You are not! Take that! We are future. Your time is ended. For we are everywhere. Oh, no. I think it was human, but as for what it is now... Ah! Whatever it is, it's strong! Doctor! Rats! Behind us! No! Look out, Andrews! Another play that was highly, highly anticipated, and that's because of the writer, Mr Tony Lee. It was announced at Gallifrey this year, when Trevor and I were sitting in the audience, that Tony had finally been commissioned to write a Doctor Who play. Now, he's much more well-known as a comic book story writer and IDW have used him for years and years on end and he oversaw the Forgotten, uh, the ongoing series of Tenth Doctor comic strips and he and a couple of others have seen the creation of Matt Smith's tenure within the comic strip world. It was a very, very anticipated play by fans of both Tony Lee and Big Finish and, and for me it doesn't really work i have to say as a story i i think it is very very comic strip in nature i could see captions um above each of these scenes that are in some cases very very clearly described to each other by the characters and that's not to say that the comic strip format is any less a valid medium than than audio plays but I do think certain stories are suited to one medium or another, and this one was not suited to, to audio. I, I was immediately put in mind of um, Talents of Wing Chien with large giant rats, and the funny <laughs> thing was, I actually imagined the really bad hand puppet as well. So I think that was bad. I think it suffered also because it's four episodes set exclusively in a set of tunnels and caves and the vast majority of Kiss of Death is set in some ice caves and ice tunnels so it just feels like it's taking the 
stereotypical view of Doctor Who to a new degree. There's just too many corridors here. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying, but let's think. Um, what's good about this? Okay, there's, there are two things which are brilliant about it. Number one, the air of claustrophobia is, and, and encroaching panic is really well uh, got put across by the cast and by the audio production. It does feel very closed in. It does feel very uh, very limiting and, and, as I say, very dark and musty and close. I like all of that. Um, I'm, I'm, and I can't, I've got to be careful. I don't know what order these were recorded in, um, but by the time we get to this particular audio play, um, the characters, of, well, the, the lead characters anyway, so Tegan, Nyssa, the Doctor and Turlo, all feel very much as they did back in the day, back in the 80s. You know, they, everyone seems comfortable with their roles and it's like they've put on their favourite jackets and they're just emoting. Um, aside, now, aside from that, we get into this, mm. uh, this, this another two areas, one of which is that there are clear uh, parallels in this story between the Sea Devils uh, and the Silurians because you've got a race uh, who feel they have a claim on the planet that the humans have been living on for some time. And that in itself isn't bad if you're not, terribly intimate and familiar with those two stories but all I'm thinking is that anyone who's listening to Big Finish is probably the sort of fan who is familiar with those sort of stories so what, what I'm getting at is there's there's a lot to like about this story and if it's a first outing for the writer then okay I mean don't get me wrong I'm not a writer um, I'm, I'm just part of the audience I'm a consumer um, but given another opportunity I get a feeling that with, with these with so many pieces in this particular chess box it, 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 it would it, it's quite a difficult a quite a difficult story to tell because you once again you've got to give all the companions something to do whilst telling uh, a compelling and interesting story that's propulsive so given the uh, the challenges uh, of writing for this particular TARDIS crew I've got to say it could have been an awful lot more complicated and a lot less interesting than, it act, than, than in actual fact it really is constantly I'm coming back to this as if I'm a new Doctor Who fan I'm thinking if I didn't know these stories if I didn't know these characters could I appreciate it on its own terms um and I've got to be honest if I didn't know who these characters were I I would struggle but then again at the same time it's the third part of a trilogy of classic Doctor Who and anyone who's got to this bit of has got to um some audio spin-off audio drama uh, with characters from the for the 1980s would probably be expected to know exactly who these characters are with a minimum amount of exposition um is it the best Doctor Who story I've ever heard told? No. Is it the worst I've ever heard told? Told not by a long shot. Um, but knowing the, knowing the the challenges that are that are involved in this in this sort of writing and storytelling, it could have been so much worse. And to be honest with you, I on balance I liked it. On balance I liked it. Oh, but uh, I, I I can't go that far. I'm afraid. I, I think a lot of what you say there is correct, and it, it's interesting the way you talk about chess pieces uh, to move around. And you're right. I think somewhere. In here, there is a good story waiting to be told, but this mm. isn't it. Uh, mm. There are 14 mm. characters, Tom, 14 characters in the first episode alone. And secondly, and this has got nothing to do with a writer at all, uh, the, the monster's voices are practically unintelligible. Unless, unless you're able to sit in a room where you've got no distraction and no background noise, and I know the vast majority of people who listen to Big Finish, who I know... Don't do that. They listen to it on the commute or they listen to it on the bus or something along those lines. And you you lost a lot of the dialogue there. Mm, um, mm, that, mm. that made it very, very difficult to, to follow as well. Um, in addition, I think you look at the actual story itself. There was a couple of twists at the end that honestly were just so predictable. And when you look at it in hindsight, it's totally unnecessary as well. So... 
I think whilst you've got a story that I think is on the face of it interesting, I think even even on one of the extras, it said that this is um, a replacement of a replacement script. And I think you can tell. I think it was commissioned in a hurry uh, because there doesn't appear to have been the amount of work gone into the script development and story development that other stories suggest um, has actually been taken. And, and and that's because, as I said, and there's a couple of pieces that are, are, are criminal use of this, and that's to actually describe what other characters can see, and that is purely for the benefit of the listener, and because it's an audio story. I've wanted to do this since I met you. And I've wanted to do that since I met you. Hello. Hello, everyone. Are we in trouble again? You gave Andrews an electric shock while he was standing in water. Don't you know how dangerous that is? Well, don't all thank me at once. Oh, that. And that would have been tidied up, pulled out of even big finishes that were made ten years or so ago. So I, I was surprised, surprised at that. But on the whole, I always enjoyed Terry Malloy because I know who he is. Um, I enjoyed the references back to the first Fifth Doctor, Tur- Turlow, Tegan and Nissa trilogy as well, because the virus that um, Nissa is investigating, and I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but that's intrinsic in this particular uh, story as well. But for me, um, Big Finish haven't been able to end a trilogy well for a very long time. Uh, the third play in, in each of the last probably year, maybe maybe even 15 months stories has always been the weakest and this is no exception i'm afraid i would just like to see more from tony lee that, that's well the i would I'll, I'll certainly agree with you there uh, because i love tony lee's stories and and certainly the comic books and you know they're incredibly colorful not just to look at uh, but the stories you know they move so quickly uh, they're interesting they're novel they're original i don't know where this guy gets his ideas from and yeah, maybe it was because the expectation was there for something magical to be delivered in audio format. I was more disappointed than I would normally be. Yeah. But um, but for me, yeah, I, I would really, really encourage Big Finish, as if they listened to me. But uh, I would really encourage them to use Tony Lee again, because I, I know that his storytelling skills are absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Well, Tom, I think that's enough Big Finish and enough Doctor Who podcast, I think, for this week. So, I mean, I have to say, I do enjoy talking about Big Finishes, and I know it's something that, Tom, you've well, you've become a more recent convert to yeah. the range, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We, it's taken me a while, but now I'm kind of, I'm kind of hooked. <laughs> okay, Tom, you're going to have to get back into some of the very early plays that Big Finish produced, because there are some absolute gems there. And I know that you're bang up to speed at the moment with the modern ones, but ones that were produced 2001, 2002, basically before the show came back, are really worth taking a listen to as well. They were actually quite different to the mm. stuff that Big Finish are coming out with now. Well, do you know, I remember listening just... Uh, I was a bit unsure of it, but then I heard Circular Time and everything changed. That was the one that did it. Circular Time, do you know what? That's what converted me. Anyone else who's not sure about Big Finish, Circular Time, that's the one. Fifth Doctor, Nissa, four, four little stories. Oh, 
absolutely magical, magical. Well, you've pinpointed one of them that's been written by a new series writer. That was Paul Connell with Mike Maddox helping out as well. Mm. And yeah, that is a superb play. I mean, we can, well, you can probably check our back catalogue for, for previous big finishes that we recommend, but we will do it so we can talk about some modern releases as well. But mm. we will get round to talking about Big Finish again very shortly, I'm sure. And in the meantime, we'd like to hear your views about what Big Finish plays you've particularly enjoyed, especially if it's a play that you haven't heard people talk about very much. There's an awful lot in Big Finish's back catalogue. And normally when you listen to podcasts, you only get a few of those titles mentioned. I'd quite like to hear ones that don't get a lot of recognition or don't get a lot of discussion on podcasts. So if you've got a particular opinion on that, feedback at the Doctor Who podcast com is the email to use. Next week, we're going to bring you an interview with Simon Gurrier, who is a big Finnish writer. He's written books. He's the man behind a lot of the featurettes that you would have seen on the BBC DVDs of classic Doctor Who. And I've never known someone really who is so intrinsically hardwired into the show. And I sat down, well, actually, I sat down with him some time ago now. It was actually the night of the London riots. Uh, so you do get to hear lots of police car sirens in the background. But uh, we didn't know that at the time. And we were obliviously recording, talking about Doctor Who. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to listen to the podcast. Sorry that we didn't have Trev here with us today, but he is with us because he has put together this podcast in the edit today. So Trev, love you, miss you, want you, need you. Hope to see you soon. And uh, what can I say? Take care. Goodbye. Bye for now. That was the Doctor Who podcast, which you can find at the thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. So we're going to try and do the same with the latest Fifth Doctor, Nissa, Turgon, and... Turgon? Who's Turgon? God, right. (laughs)